Hello, everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Oh, yeah. Today is March the 27th, 2020. Strong hand, long-term thinking. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin in motion. Now, these dudes are in motion. They're, they, they're not shut down. They're doing things. Compete, don't complain. Conviction. Have some conviction in this time. There are a lot of people that don't have conviction these days. I am offended by selling. Hello, my elite <laughs> friends. It is this week in Bitcoin time again. If you've got questions, I got answers. Type in Bitcoin Meister. Do a super chat. I'll ask these dudes some questions for you. But we got an all-star panel coming back today. Uh, Neil Woodfine makes his return. Gabriel D. Vine is in the house once again. Many times he's been here. And Jan Pritzker of Swan Bitcoin. Oh yeah, he makes his debut. All right, dudes. Let's. We know what the current events are. We're going to get into that. Let's talk about a Jan tweet that was out there. Let me read you what it is and Jan will comment on it. Oh, boy. What happens when you cut production by shutting down an economy and then increasing the supply of money. Asking for a friend who failed Economics 101. Ooh. So, uh, Jan, what was, that, what was that all about? Well, you know, I'm just trying to understand what is... Okay, look, I, I understand we're in a serious economic crisis here, right? And it's almost like we expect the people in charge to do something. We ha They have to do something, right? They have to rescue us. Now, we're not talking about how we got here. We're definitely not asking those questions. Um, and it's clear that we're going to have a lot of economic stimulus right now. And we, we're already seeing it, um, you know, $6 trillion, $10 trillion. It'll, it'll keep going up. The number is arbitrary, really. I mean, it's pretty much we're going to stimulate until we fix it, right? So the question I ask is, how do you know what the right number is? Um, and how are we going to deal with this idea that, I mean, yes, they're adding more, quote unquote, stimulus into the economy. But at the same time, the production shut down. There's no... You know, stuff's not being made. I mean, I have friends in small businesses. My sister owns a cell phone store, trucking business. All this stuff is getting affected. So uh, things are shut down, and yet the quantity of money is increasing. I mean, to me, it sounds like a recipe for some pretty disastrous inflation down the line. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that. Now, what's it mean for Bitcoin, in your opinion? I think it means the number goes up. <laughs> I mean, look. It's very simple, right? There's a certain amount of dollars in existence and there's a certain amount of Bitcoin in existence. We know that the amount of Bitcoin isn't changing. The amount of dollars is being vastly increased. So just, you know, simple ratios, there's going to be more dollars per Bitcoin than ever. And the question is, you know, how many of those dollars will go into Bitcoin? That's really the only question is like how many people have understood that this is happening, have recognized Bitcoin as a, uh, you know, an asset that's resistant to basically human meddling. Um, and as more people realize it, as more people understand that uh, Bitcoin is, you know, the only scarce resource left uh, in our whole financial system, I expect more dollars to flow into Bitcoin and there's more dollars to be flown, to be uh, put into Bitcoin. So, you know, number goes up. Uh, and do you still remember that the halving is going to be happening in May and that it can't get canceled? <laughs> the having is not being canceled. Yeah, I mean it's it's really funny, right? Because we see every every major government in the world is is either already easing or is going to be easing or is going to be printing money. Um, you know, things are going to get crazy. 
And Bitcoin just stands in stark contrast to everything that's going on around the world in that its monetary policy is set in stone. Nobody's going to mess with it. And you can rely on this having happening in May. There's no Bitcoin CEO or central bank to come in and quote unquote save us by printing more Bitcoin. Uh, it's going to happen. So, you know, you either recognize that today or you recognize that in May or you see that in the news after the pump happens. You know, maybe it'll take a year or two. I don't know. Um, but as more people realize it, it's it's going to happen. All right. Neil, what's your take on this insane money printing Uh that was almost unfathomable, well, at least for me beforehand, but now it's six trillion is just a normal number. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I see these numbers. And I don't think they're that crazy. Like, um, I think things are just getting started. And even if the amounts like 10, 20, 30 trillion tomorrow, I don't think any of us would be particularly surprised, or at least I personally wouldn't be that surprised. Like, these guys print money year in, year out. And uh, I don't think this is any any different. Um, I think that obviously for the long term, it's good for Bitcoin. But um, in the super short term, like it's difficult to say because we know that there's a lot of people invested in Bitcoin right now that, um, I mean, we're talking about short term price movements here. I'm not sure if we're into speculation, but like I think we know there's a lot of people invested in Bitcoin that aren't really bought into the Bitcoin project. They're just looking for number goes up and, and fast gains. Um, and if Bitcoin doesn't perform before the, the halving, or if they need to liquidate to cover all sorts of other leverage that they have elsewhere, like we could see like Bitcoin underperform pre-halving or even just after the halving. Um, uh, uh, like that really wouldn't surprise me. And I could imagine like a lot of Bitcoiners getting a little bit deflated that like despite all of this, like these trillions being pumped into the economy, that Bitcoin is not like pumping. I mean, even now, like uh, myself, I'm a little bit surprised that not more people have cottoned on to what what's to come. Oh, um, I think it's happening uh, though. Yeah. So I, I was I was just gonna say like I see my fr I, I have all these friends coming out of the woodwork who totally ignored the prior dips and pumps that happened over the last year, but now they're all asking about Bitcoin. So I'm wondering what has changed, and I think people are recognizing that the economy around them is collapsing. They're starting to see that there's something wrong with the money, not something wrong. You know, they, they, they're starting to ask bigger questions, basically. I, I do. I think Neil's got a point, though. I think people we are. There's some people that were like perma bulls uh, that are like, wait a second. The world's ending. Shouldn't Bitcoin be going through the roof? And mm -hmm. uh, I think some people are disappointed. I mean, there was huge liquidations, though. I don't know if we'll have. Uh, I think the people with the weakest of the hands that had a lot. They, they're already liquidated. I don't think we're going to see uh, something, something like that again where people need dollars and they're getting rid of their Bitcoin. I think all those guys have been flushed out. But I fully expect after the halving that the price to drop. I, I, I wouldn't. I'm not. And people would be disappointed because they just don't get it. You got to be long term about this, uh, this type of thing. But uh, mm -hmm. Neil, did anything else you had to say about the, the money printing and this just current ridiculous situation that's going on? Well, I mean, like I say, I think we're just getting started. Like, uh, uh, obviously, the, um, the effects of shutting down all of these business businesses is going to be felt later rather than right now. And uh, they're going to need even more money pumped into the system to keep all of their leverage going. So, um, uh, yeah. I like, do, you uh, think, do, you think the do you think the dollar can be uh, printed? Uh, do you think the dollar will ever experience hyperinflation in the United States? 
eventually, I, personally, I think it's inevitable. Like, um, I don't know. I, I, I often think back to the um, book When Money Dies, and like kind of the, some of the insane things that the central bank and the authorities were saying about like we need more money in the system, and there's just no kind of end to that. They, they never like ever question that narrative. Um, and right now we're seeing exactly the same thing. Like nobody is asking the question like, okay, when is too much money? When is uh, like they're too much? And nobody, nobody's going to stop. Like it'll, they'll print it into a good easily. And they'll, they kind of have to. Like, <laughs> All right, Gabriel, I am sure you've got a lot to say on this topic, man. Take it away. Money printing, etc. I do have a lot to say, and it's all a bit of a jumble in my head. And it's not because it's the morning time. It's because we are working with so little information. There's a lot of disinformation floating around. There's, of course, uh, hordes of confused people uh, trying to analyze the situation from an outdated and or totally inaccurate world model. Uh, you see that a huge amount over the past few years, but even especially now where we're getting so little information about why things are being done. There's so many wheels within wheels, conspiracy theories, because there's lots of conspiracies in the world. People are doing things secretly and they don't want others to know. Those are called conspiracies. However, we don't know who's doing them and we don't know how many groups there are and we don't know what everybody's intentions are. So I'm just going to address some of the things that you guys have already talked about because it's so difficult to get an overview right now. This is a time of uh, topsy-turvy turmoil. So regarding the flush out, we saw a, the most sudden plunge in Western markets in history, more sudden than 1987, which was the previous um, you know, quickest huge crash, uh, much faster than 1929. And uh, I don't think that it's over. So I'm not necessarily buying into the narrative that, oh, the flush out already happened. But for Bitcoin, Bitcoin is low hanging fruit for these large institutions. It doesn't have enough of a track record for, for them to want to stick in it for any length of time. So, so uh, Adam, I think you're probably right that the Bitcoin flush out is over. But other asset flush outs, I think, may lie ahead as we do the next leg and the leg after that and the leg after that down. Because we're only at 2017 lows. We still have to bust through the 2015 high and the 2013 high and the 2011, uh, you know, possible baseline after European banking crash. So that's my comment about the flush out. Now, that kind of leads me to the, the next subject, which is cash balance versus savings. Uh, in times of deflationary crashes, which is basically the essentially the beginning of the of the recession that we're about to see in Q2, three, uh, people run from risk to cash. Cash is is, you know, should be the least risky asset. Right. Um for, uh, you know, basic expenditures and the people want optionality right now because assets are crashing and they want to be able to jump into things as they bought them. Investors want to be able to jump into things. They want that. They want that, uh, that optionality that holding cash allows. And this is something Keynesians hate. 
And of course, it causes a lower money velocity, which which is part of the deflationary situation that we're in right now, where debt not only is being um, uh, defaulted on, which means extinguishment. So basically, debt is created out of thin air, and then it disappears into th thin air. As soon as anybody defaults, it causes a chain reaction, and all of that quote-unquote money, it's not money, it's actually just a loan that was created out of thin air, it goes back to where it came from, which is nothing. So we're in the situation where more and more of that nothing that was created and it was imaginary is being extinguished back to nothing. So that causes this deflationary crash scenario. Uh, and people, uh, with their losing bets, they're needing to cash out their savings in order to cover the bad bets and that is causing the drop not only in Bitcoin, uh, but also in gold and other traditional safe haven assets. They drop along with other with stocks and more risky. The less risky assets are also getting uh, liquidated because cash is the ultimate uh, uh, asset in, in very sharp deflation like this. So that's the situation we're in now. And as you guys pointed out, just because the... Um, Issuance rate of Bitcoin is about to go down by 50% in two months, less than two months, probably. Uh, it doesn't mean that people will flood in because they may not have the capital to put into savings. Bitcoin is a new risk, high, somewhat higher risk, somewhat speculative, but also used for savings by many individuals. And they may not have any uh, cash to put into savings anytime soon because of this deflationary scenario, high unemployment, high risk. People want that optionality of holding um, government scrip instead of savings assets because they're more liquid. It's easier to jump into things. It's, it's easier to cover losses and stay fleet of foot when you have a cash balance. Yeah, there, there's not a savings mindset in a time of panic. I mean, it's just <laughs> this is not a time to think about, oh, yeah, Bitcoin looks like a great long-term investment when you're losing your job. I mean, that's just the, that, that, that's, what's, uh, that's what the reality is on, on the street right now. And, uh, hey, pound that like button, by the way, Gabriel. That was a beautiful explanation. All these dudes are linked to below. Check, check them all out. Uh, well, Gabriel, uh, obviously a lot of this uh, crisis – uh, is manu it, it, most of it is manufactured because the government shut down all the businesses. So how, how long do you think this can go on for? Uh, the businesses can stay shut down in the Western world. Before, before well, that, that's perfect. That, that brings me to my next subject that I wanted to talk about, which is, um, you know, as uh, Jan mentioned, this recession uh, and idea that we're in now um, is going to be leading to an inflation, right? So they're they're printing a huge amount of uh, f of this government script, and so basically it's number go up time as soon as there's any economic activity. Because right now things are frozen, as you pointed out. Governments around the world have um, done what they maybe should have done in 2009 with bird flu, um, so we could have avoided. Several, many thousands of terrible deaths. Maybe there should have been a bit more of a shutdown, but this is really extreme. It seems outsized. It's an extremely confusing time because yes, there's a very dangerous disease. No, it's not that much more risky than a very bad flu for most people. And it's this hugely confused thing. It's like, oh, well, bird flu is this and that. And it was like, well, actually, they probably underreacted to bird flu. And then now we're in this overreaction, possibly. So it's, it's a really extremely confused time. 
Um, but I do think that we're going to go from this deflationary shock panic to a short, very sharp depression recession for a couple of quarters. And then after that is when there will be active uh, economic activity. And as the money velocity increases, that's when you get your inflation. So we're going to go from recession to stagflation is my prediction this year. And that's probably when Bitcoin will begin to benefit from this money printing. And it's not just a matter of, oh, it's more dollars chasing the uh, you know limited amount of Bitcoin. And by the way, it's not the same amount of Bitcoin. It's just a steady rate that's dropping by half very soon, which is really, really different from the, uh, you know, uh, machine go brr situation that we're in with the uh, uh, central banks. So that's when Bitcoin will probably experience its surge and it's going to be an outsized surge it's not like okay well there's more dollars so automatically bitcoin goes up uh with the rate of inflation oh no 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 maybe carrots will will be at the rate of uh, average rate of inflation bitcoin and gold probably since they are monetary assets and savings oh you muted yourself gabriel Oh no! That was oh, such a good. That was such a oh, good. Oh uh, man, you're in, the, you're in the middle of something. What happened? He, he'll he'll be back, people. Don't worry. Yeah. Well, well, while he's God. off, I wanted to comment really quick. I just on a follow up there. Um, I saw a really awesome chart tweeted by uh, Jesse Colombo on Twitter, which was basically this, essentially coming from the '70s, you know, and all and showing all the bubbles, you know, the, the 1987, the dot com, you know, the housing bubble, and what whatever it is that's happening now with everything bubble. And the question that, uh, you know, happened for me in my head is like, what, which bubble is bursting Technologies. now? Oh, there Real. he is. He's back. I don't know if he knows he was. He may know. not be. Yeah. 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 yeah, Hello. yeah. Gabriel, you got, you got cut off for the last minute there. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> where, did you, where did we get cut off? You said that the gold and Bitcoin will go up a lot more because they have like a monetary premium. I think that's what uh, you were trying to explain. That's right. Monetary premium. So they're going to they're going to huge their 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 uh, surge will be hugely outsized compared to the rate of inflation. But I do see a very high rate of inflation. I wouldn't be surprised if next year uh, we see double digit inflation in the U.S. dollar, which will be a real shock to the economy. However, I have to differ with Neil's idea. I think that some sort of reset will happen before it gets to the point of hyperinflation. Remember, the dictionary definition of hyperinflation is more than 100% inflation per month, uh, whether you consider that monetary inflation or price inflation. I don't think they're going to get it, let it get to that level, but I wouldn't be that surprised to see 10, 12, 15, even 20, 25% inflation next year which will be a huge shock to the american public yeah. i'd just like to i'd like to clarify that i'm not saying that the us dollar is going to hyperinflate next year i think they can certainly push this system a lot further um i don't have any kind of data to back that up but my my, my gut feeling is that they could uh, run through another like uh one or two um uh, um economic crashes but um i think hyperinflation is on the horizon eventually for the for the us dollar I haven't seen it's anything. possible. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they if they put um, a new Fed coin, like a gold backed. They they return to a gold backed system, actually, um, and then but it'll be a new asset that they that they peg that they don't peg the dollar to, and the dollar that's when when the hyperinflation could happen. Yeah. 
I mean, like historic, historically, like um, just from the accounts that I've read, generally that new replacement doesn't come into place until um, the old one starts hyperinflating. So, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I see that kind of happening at the same time. But what do you guys think? Uh, just this is an economics question because I don't necessarily understand it. So this is not a statement and not rhetorical. Um, so, yes, we expect the amount of money in the system to increase and so on. But we also know that there's a global demand for dollars that looks like it's outstripping the supply of dollars. So uh, because dollars are essentially the reserve currency, is the demand from other countries going to basically act as a counter balance to this inflation because it's going to make the dollar go up in value and thus be deflationary in terms of uh, you know prices. Uh, what do you guys think about that idea and does it have merit? This is a really important issue to bring up. And I think that temporarily that's why the dollar is so extremely strong and experienced its steepest eight day surge ever just recently during the panic, of course. Um, but I think that this is where, this is a really the key to the reset. It will. I, I. What I predict is that the uh, central banks and/or countries will come together. Treasuries will come together and negotiate a debt forgiveness, a ju- a jubilee for the countries. In other words, they're going to all default at once and come up with agreements as to how to negotiate their debt. Um, their debt. Uh, default. So uh, this is. I think that's really the key. Is that when they is when they default on all of those loans in dollars is when the dollar will, you know, will, will inflate hugely because they're just not going to pay it back. And so they, they no longer have any demand. That's the thing about debt. It just goes away and then the demand disappears instantly into thin air. Uh, Neil, did you have anything to say about Jan's uh, question? Um. So, I mean, like we know that um, a number of kind of um, uh, uh, nations that are not particularly allied with the US, like um, uh, Russia and and China and a bunch of other countries, they're all uh, repatriating a lot of gold. They're increasing their gold reserves. So, like, I think if the US starts to, or if it keeps on printing $1 trillion platinum coins, (laughs) <laughs> that all of these countries are going to start to probably accelerate that process. Blast. So the U.S. and people in the U.S. have to be concerned because there's a lot of dollars that can get sent back home. Um, uh, and as well, like if we get into an ec- economic crisis, then we could be facing kind of like um, more hostilities between various different countries and potential war. Like anything can happen when 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 things start. Um, uh, collapsing, so like in those kind of situations, they, they, there may be kind of some other kind of currency wars going on at the same time, which could could harm the U.S. because everybody's got a lot of ammunition, right? Uh, Jan, what was that tweet you were about to share? Before? Oh yeah, so I was uh, I was looking at this tweet from Jesse Colombo, March 18th. He tweeted out a chart, um, which is uh, it's a U.S. household net worth as percent of GDP chart, and it basically goes through all the bubbles that happened from essentially the 70s as the end of the gold standard. And we see, you know, the dot-com bubble, the housing bubble, and now this current, you know, he calls it the QE and zero interest rate bubble. Um, you can call it the everything bubble, whatever you want to call it. Uh, my The question in my head was, you know, which bubble is currently bursting? Is, is it just this current bubble that happened starting from 2008? 
or is it actually a much bigger bubble that's going all the way back potentially to the 70s and, and all the asset you know price inflation that happened because of the loss of the gold standard if that's the bubble that's bursting now and all assets will be repriced um we are looking at a much much bigger down and i'm kind of with gabriel here i don't think this is the end of it this this you know dow is in a bull market tweet from wall street journal's complete s9 <laughs> like what are you talking about the entire economy shut down um, but yeah, I think this is a much bigger deal and it goes on for longer. And so the question is just, you know, which bubble is bursting? Is it this last 10, 10 years or is it the last 20 or the last 50? Uh, I, I don't have the answer to that. That's a question that I'm bringing to the group. <laughs> I think this is the, uh, this is 107 year actually, <laughs> not, a, not a, not a 50 year. This is all <laughs> okay. the way back. This is all the way back to, uh, uh, what's it called? Jekyll, Jekyll Island. Island. Yeah. Yeah, Federal Jekyll Reserve. Island is where the Federal Reserve, where the banking uh, bankers came together to create a uh, banking zaibatsu. Uh, this is a, a, basically an industry uh, concern where they have total control over uh, over the script supply, the paper supply in the markets. And that's when... Um, the industry took off, and so the the um, industrial uh, production efficiencies gained by all of the uh, incredible uh, machinery that was being invented throughout the second half of the 19th century and into the 20th century, they saw that they would be able to um, steal and skim off huge amounts of, of wealth from the American economy with these efficiencies by hiding the production efficiencies from the uh, innovation in machinery and in the industrial age, they were able to skim this off and not only, not only not have deflation like there was in the 19th century um, expansionary deflation. In other words, uh, greater efficiency leads to greater value of gold and everybody's wealth increasing uh, rising tide, lifting all boats in the 19th century and uh, abolition of slavery, everything like that. They instead instituted a policy of inflation on top of erasing uh, and stealing all the gains from the uh, efficiencies of production. So they really pulled a pulled a number on the U.S. A bunch of people saw it back then. There's the famous uh, wonderful drawing of the giant octopus sucking money out of every institution and spitting it into the New York Stock Exchange and uh, with its tentacles. And... Uh, you know, that's now that's what we're at the end of now. This is the end of that paradigm. Uh, it is the 50 year mark coming up uh, next year uh, of the pure, completely pure fiat where you couldn't exchange it for a metal at all since 1971. But this is all the way going back there. And I, uh, I, I think that they might be uh, actually doing what Lincoln and uh, Jackson and Kennedy wanted to do, which is bring all of the money production back to the treasury, uh, like the Constitution says. Um, we'll see if they can manage to repeal the Federal Reserve Act from 1913. So you, you, this, this <laughs> yeah, might be the be beginning of the end of the Fed, you think? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, how about if, uh, well, I, I, all the banks could be nationalized on the, on the other side of things. And that everyone would just have an account at the Fed, you know, with with digital dollars. I mean, we could go in that direction uh, too with this. I mean, well, the, Fed, this isn't, is the Fed isn't the nation, but the Fed is not the nation. So until they repeal the Federal Reserve Act, and it's not a private banking 
uh, concern. And it, it maybe may if they nationalized the Fed, that would be a repeal of the Federal Reserve Act because then it would be owned by the Treasury, which is a totally different situation now. But yeah, that could conceivably happen. Well, again, you're you're predicting the end of the Fed from all this, and you know, I think we're definitely a few. We're not there, but it could happen. But right now, they're they're the every they're the darling of the world. I mean, they're the, they're the one printing up the money, the, the trillions of dollars. I mean. They're in charge right now. I mean, yeah, they really can do no wrong because, you know, yeah. like they're they're here to rescue us. Right. So if they print six trillion and it doesn't help, well, they just say, well, we didn't print enough. And if they print, you know, too much, well, you know, we did the best we could. There's really no there's no like measuring stick by which we can judge their performance because we don't know what the well, alternative looks like. That's not well. That's not quite true, Jan. We can look at the effect of their actions. And this is where our this disinformation and confusion comes in, because. The Fed has been bazooking, uh, and not everything they're doing is working. And right now, we see that with the fallout from the repo market. This is the overnight lending market from and short-term lending market between banks. Uh, the the fault line appeared in September, and they papered it over with a, a you know eighty billion, hundred billion, uh, basically just injected that amount and let it roll over every night. And then things really started to you know, implode in February, and they've been shoving money at various parts of the, of the financial system, basically their member private corporations. And it's not working because they're offering the same thing. They're offering uh, free that we're going to buy, like QE, right? Basically, we're going to just, Fed says, we're just going to print money and buy your crap that's not worth anything off of your books and take it off your books so you don't have to take those losses anymore. And meanwhile, they've also given the ability to take loans out. But of course, there's no interest in the loans. In other words, by interest, I mean that uh, there's no demand for these loans. In fact, their whole loan program is going without any takers because everyone's like, well, why would I take these loans if you're just gonna buy all my losing assets off my books? So that is what makes me think that this is not all that it, uh, that it seems, and may, perhaps Powell and Trump are trying to implode this thing, trying to break it. That it's it's conceivable that that's what's going on because their actions don't make perfect sense, but not nothing close. They're they're throwing everything at this, and they're not doing it in an organized fashion. But in my book, at all, I would agree that uh, most everything that the Fed tries is is a failure. But uh, the people. The only way to get rid of it uh, would be if, you know, the people rebelled, that the people spoke up, if there was a demand for th this lunacy to end. And we are living in a time where people are demanding more and more authoritarianism, more and more answers from the government. So I and I know the Fed isn't per se the government, but uh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I can see how this is the beginning of the end of the fed but right now they're 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 having their way with the country i mean they they, they really are and that's uh we'll, we'll see how this goes but i i do want to oh, yeah. i i, I, I want to clarify i want to yeah. clarify that yeah what i'm talking about is going to take years okay this okay, uh, sort of like re repealing the act could even happen within 2 years but that whole process of playing it out i mean it's at least whatever 4 or 5 years let's let's talk about the author authoritarianism that's uh, become popular these days. Uh, it, it seems like we're living, people are scared about their health. And when they're scared about their health, uh, I guess they, they're willing to give away uh, their freedom. 
it appears from from what I've uh, analyzed here. And I've been very surprised uh, that there are many, many a Bitcoiner uh, or have uh, see, it seems like they're a lot more status than, than I thought uh, some some people were. So uh, I'll ask Neil, uh, what is your take on the road to authoritarianism? What, what <clears throat> has this surprised you at all? What, what direction are we going on? Is, is it going to get worse? Um, so I'm definitely very surprised by um, particularly the reactions of many Bitcoiners um, in the space to this crisis. Um, I think what's most concerning for me is that um, any kind of public questioning of either the facts of the matter or um, the logic of the measures being taken um, is starting to kind of... Um, it's getting this reaction where people are calling it harmful and dangerous and it feels like kind of the beginnings of some kind of um, um, hate speech laws where like there's certain things we're not allowed to talk about because it can harm people's health and lead to deaths um, and like uh, that's like the biggest concern of mine but in general like I'm very concerned by how quickly people have been to um, support not only kind of enforcing themselves being locked at home, but also their neighbors and, and strangers and, and, and just basically anybody else they know, um, without any kind of, kind of um, serious questioning of how long that is gonna take place. Like people are saying like, they want the government to enforce like kind of basically home imprisonment and then not like set out the terms for that. So like, they're not saying like, okay, we're gonna do this for two weeks and at two weeks, that's it. Or like, we'll do this indefinitely until these criteria are met. They're just asking to be locked up indefinitely. That's like, that, that, that's, that's, that's seriously concerning. And like, it doesn't surprise me in the general population, like let's call them normies or, or people. Like I, I probably would have fallen into that camp before I got into Bitcoin and got exposed to all these like different ideas. But like for Bitcoiners to start to think that, that's definitely um, very concerning. And I wouldn't even say it's like a small pocket of Bitcoiners. I would say it was the majority of the, oh. at least Bitcoin Twitter, let's say. Um, right. and, and and I tend to think that like people say that Bitcoin Twitter doesn't matter. I, I do think it matters. I think Bitcoin Twitter is more libertarian, more aligned with the values than perhaps all of the other Bitcoin holders. And I'm not saying they're not Bitcoiners, but like, um, uh, uh, there's definitely like a type of Bitcoin that is, is very kind of um, values aligned, right? So, um, and then another another thing that I really, really hate about it is this paranoia that it's created. So this is like less on the authoritarian side, although it's a good tool that they can use in that like pe between families and between friends and between strangers and neighbors, all of a sudden everybody's kind of afraid of each other. And like, I'm hearing stories in the UK where they've implemented um, a bunch of kind of um, social distancing rules and you have people um, in their gardens for instance having conversations eight to ten meters apart across a garden fence and like that sounds like really nice oh and like people are making the best of it stuff like that but like if you think about it a bit more it's like well what happens if one person started like walking closer to the other person or what happens if like somebody knocked on the door and started like kind of like asking for um, some supplies or whatever like all of a sudden like everybody's like scared of each other and like if your your uncle wants to come around and visit it's like 
he might be like, you might bring around the virus and kill you. And I really don't like this kind of this paranoia that everybody's got about all these asymptomatic people. There's no, there's no good statistical reason for for these people to be afraid of each other. A lot of these people are not even vulnerable people to this disease, and yet, like, there's this fear that's going on between everybody. And um, yeah, that that's really sad to see. I mean, there's, yeah. there's all sorts of different angles to to to, to take on this, but um, this embrace of control and authority um, is is really hypocritical. When if you're supporting Bitcoin. Not only do you support the values of freedom in finance, it's a small step to get to freedom in like speech and movement and freedom of assembly. Like it's a very small step to get to that. But then also if you support Bitcoin, like if Bitcoin succeeds, all of these measures that you're calling for in this kind of crisis that you you that some of these people are saying are absolutely necessary, or otherwise millions will die. Like those kind of measures become a lot more difficult when the state can't fund its operations if it's being and um, defunded by difficulty of obtaining taxation and no longer has access to cheap credit and can't inflate the money supply and, and get cheap loans, that kind of thing. So it just doesn't it doesn't fit. There's a lot of conflict there that uh, like I feel like a lot of people are maintaining. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I want to I want to point. I mean, there's social shaming going on. There's in people are being informants. I mean, it's unbelievable the stuff I see going on. Jan, what, what's your take on all this? Uh, yeah, I have a similar take, but slightly more nuanced. I think, uh, well, I don't want, <laughs> that's not a disparaging comment towards Neil. My nuance is that, like, I, I like the voluntary part of it where, like, for example, my mom is immunocompromised, right? So for me, I if I get the virus, okay, worst case scenario, maybe something bad happens, but, like, I can't have it get to my mom. So, for example, for me, I have to isolate myself pretty strongly. Um, and that's my voluntary action that I'm taking. Okay. And so when I, I keep, and I do have paranoia with my neighbors and I agree, it totally sucks because now I like, I went outside, my kids were playing outside the neighbor's kid like coughed and I was like, Oh shit. Like we can't play with those neighbors anymore. It's like, it's really messed up. Right. But I, I have no idea of knowing. Um, at the same time, I think that people calling for authoritarian um, response to this is, is horrible because as I was pointing out on Twitter earlier, like, you know, 18 years ago, 19 years ago, we had the shoe bomber. Uh, nobody remembers the shoe bomber anymore, but we all take off our shoes at the fucking airport. Pardon me. I know I'm not supposed to swear. Sure. We all take off our shoes at the airport um, and we don't no longer remember why we do that. And there's definitely people now that are 18 years of age that don't have any clue what the world looked like before the TSA. So these authoritarian institutions that we ask for today, like Neil said, they become permanent. They're not temporary measures. Um, if we give the power to the government to control means of production, which a lot of governors are now calling for, they want to control means of production. They want to set prices. I mean, I come from the former Soviet Union and I know exactly where that goes and it's not a good situation. We don't want to be there. So while I do think people should take voluntary measures, depending on their own risk tolerance and their own you know, family situations, I think calling for governments to like police the streets with guns, which I mean, I'm, I'm in liberal circles. I'm, I, my, my whole community is liberal. I'm, I was, I thought of myself as fairly liberal before I found Bitcoin, but like uh, liberal to me is not about um, telling other people what to do. It's about actually liberty. So I guess I'm more of a libertarian than anything, but uh, you know, like you can't ask people with guns to patrol the streets to stop this thing because there's no end to that. There really is no end to that. And the, and the cure could be a lot worse than the disease. Um, that said, I do think this disease a lot is a lot worse than the flu. I mean, we have frontline coverage from hospitals that are becoming overwhelmed and I think that's really the issue. It's not of people dying or the risk you take 
as a young person, I think it's about the hospital systems that are completely overrun. And when they are overrun, then all kinds of other diseases are going untreated. All kinds of other people are going to suffer. Um, but again, it should be done on a, on a information basis, on a scientific basis and on a voluntary basis, not from guys with guns trying to tell you to stay in your house. Beautiful. Pound that like button. Gabriel, I'm handing it off to you. Go hit a home run. You've given a, given a lot to say here. Well, where to begin? <laughs> it's quite a web. It's quite a web. And, you know, I'm the conspiracy guy uh, on, on the panel. So it's incumbent upon me to explore those murky alleyways of schemes and 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 the possibilities. Um, first of all, I, you know, what are you guys doing with your echo chambers? You you, you gotta curate better. That, if you're seeing if you're seeing people calling for a statist intervention, you you have not created your Bitcoin maximalist bubble efficiently. I mean, I would agree there. My my Twitter feed's actually just fine. I'm not sure what where Neil's getting the status or, or Adam. It's, well, there's, 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 Adam. Adam and Neil are trying to get the finger on the pulse of what's going on in general. So they, they're not quite as selective as Jan and I, um, you know, I'm, I'm in extreme West Bitcoin land and Neil is too, but he fought, he'll follow people from, you know, you know, whatever central cryptopia as well, just to see what the idiots are spewing. And so now this is, this is the price you pay. Idiots are spewing, I think it's idiots not, are honestly, it's not, I don't follow any crypto followers and that, that, that is definitely a line that would draw. I'm okay. following a lot of Bitcoin maximalists, and there's a, a large portion of Bitcoin maximalists in this authoritarian camp. Like that's that's crazy that's because uh, you know what? See, basically, you know, for me, like as soon as anybody starts to say something that I think is authoritarian, I say, nope, I'm not following that person. And if they're really bad, I'll block them. So I've got the large block list, very curated. Nobody in, in my list is all. They all sound like Jan. I question this call Thanks. for authoritarian. They're all questioning the calls, and maybe they're retweeting some ridiculously authoritarian tweet. But um, no, it's it's definitely. Um, I'm not surprised uh, that people are showing their true colors now because it's a time of crisis. So you get to see what people's real beliefs are. It's not you don't get to see the veneer of fake libertarian lib lib uh, libertard. Um, you know talking points you get to see where the fear where, where where they go when the fear hits right um you know i'm i'm all, i'm like jan uh, we've, i've got uh high risk individuals in my family so i'm also doing self-isolating but i but i'm in total agreement with you guys that this is not the time to uh implement authoritarian measures however we're still in this fiat world where there's scientism informing fiat corrupt policy and it's just all a giant cesspool and like trump says a swamp so um the way i see it now is that actually in general in society the um the libertarian view and the authoritarian view we're, we're seeing it at its most polarized right now we're seeing the strongest views being expressed and that's probably a good thing because now we can we can begin to figure out who's where and what people want and wh what's going on a little bit um, and sometimes these crisis points are, are good for clarifying, uh, you know, different people's direction in society and what's really going on. And that brings me to what is really going on here. Well, there was this doctor, is he in, I think he's a high ranking doctor in the CDC arrested in January, along with some, uh, 
uh, Chinese nationals, uh, 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 health technicians, moving vials of stuff uh, between Wuhan and other places, uh, especially Canada. This guy was uh, arrested for accepting money from the Chinese Communist Party, essentially. So we've got quite a bit of evidence to suggest that the COVID-19 virus is a bioweapon. Uh, there's the only P4 level uh, facility for creating bio uh, before bioengineering is located in Wuhan. Um, so according to the rumors that are floating around, I can't substantiate. I mean, the rest definitely happened that I was talking about. Um, I can't remember the doctor's name, but uh, now, now moving into speculative territory, the, the rumors are that this thing was not released how it was meant to be released. However, uh, it's very clear to me personally that this was an intentional bioweapon release in order to create a fear situation. You have the, uh, the WHO, which has huge tentacles from the Chinese Communist Party, uh, working together with uh, Bill Gates from Microsoft. They ran a big, whatchamacallit, um, exercise. This is a classic false flag thing where they do a big exercise that's exactly what they run six months later. This exercise happened in December. And of all the bioweapons they could have uh, chosen to do their quote-unquote exercise, they did a coronavirus. Wow, what a coincidence. So um, Gates has his fingerprints all over this where he's been talking about the dangers of bioweapons for years and how we need to create a world, one world government that uh, and, and the create create an ID and now he's calling for chipping where you can oh the chip's going to tell you where whether you got this virus and then we can lock you in a chamber. It's disgusting. So this is in my opinion we've got the classic um, you know problem reaction solution scenario from the one world government you know new world order cabal people, uh, but. It's got this flavor of desperation because the, the, there's this Trump and the military are very anti-globalist right now, at least on paper. So either they're working together and, and it's a controlled opposition move by Trump to pretend like he's cleaning the swamp but not really do it. Or there's genuinely a power vying situation between the you know Putin and Trump and the non-globalists and the old school globalists, Obama, Gates. Uh, communist party and deep state state department uh, CIA crowd. So either there's a real conflict or there's no conflict. I tend to think there's a real conflict, although I don't trust either side. So I think that, that, that the Trump and the military maybe want to usher in some technocratic situation. That's not quite as bad as the, you know, wartime, uh, you know, the, the, the just constant warfare and constant tragedies, but they still want to maintain power, which is not cool either. So, We've got a lot of questions here, uh, and I think we're actually going to start getting some answers this decade. This is my prediction. The age of leaks only began in the teens. The real stuff, we're going to get the real drops coming in the next few years. I think that's going to be absolutely crazy. And this is where we come back to the libertarian-authoritarian divide and how that's going to be bridged and how the people can wake up if we learn the truth. Snowden was really helpful, but people feel powerless. What can you do? With Bitcoin now maturing, and we have this situation of leaks coming out, if we start to get the actual information about this bioweapon release, if we start to get the true story and that narrative 
is spreads among the populace virally where we get the truth that, oh, this was all intentional. They wanted to seize power. They wanted to create a world government to keep you down. It's conceivable that millions and millions and millions of people could wake up and stop calling for authoritarian controls. I know it's hard to see for everybody now because we've had an entire century of this, but the old American way was the rugged individualist. I think that's gonna come back, but it's gonna take a really painful wake up call. And this issue right now, this bioweapon attack on the world populace that is actually not doing that well and people are really taking it seriously and we're actually keeping it under control. If we can also keep the reaction under the control and, and keep our level heads and learn the truth about what's going on, this could actually be the inflection point for a wake-up call for humanity. And I'm seeing a lot of signs of that, and I'm feeling extremely optimistic, which is a really big contrast to what I'm seeing out there right now. So I encourage everybody to look at the silver lining. All right, dudes. This is why we have Gabriel on the show. You know, you're not going to hear me say those things. <laughs> <laughs> this is deep, man. That's it. He could... I, I don't think it's a bioweapon, obviously, but, but, but it's, it's, he's, everyone is in the chat is loving it right now. And I got to say, Hastings International Solutions sent two bucks. He said, best weekly show. Um, <laughs> and God almighty, people are saying, all, uh, win, whoa, TM says, I got $3. Anybody got $4 strong hand? Well, thank you. And Hastings International Solutions sends $4. So dude, they were loving uh, they, they, they were loving it. And someone says, you like this Doomer action. I, no, I don't like Doomer action. No, I don't like, you know, but I let everybody can say what they're going to say here. Gabriel's got his opinion. You know, when Gabriel's on this show, you know, what's coming out, you know, there's gotta be some conspiracy talk coming out, <laughs> but no, there is, I, I hope whatever's going on that people do wake up and, and see, uh, that they shouldn't be drifting toward authoritarianism. But I don't know if that's going to happen because I just see people are so scared right now. Um, I, I know I know people, logical people are getting really frustrated with the situation. I, I, I'll say that. But, it, you know, I, I say it all the time. Eighty percent of the people, uh, I don't know. They, they just they're just happy with their big screen TVs and, and, and such. So uh, before we move on to what everyone here is doing, these guys, three guys are in motion even during this unproductive time. So we're going to talk about that. But uh, Jan or Neil, do you have anything more to add to the authoritarianism uh, uh, subject line here? Yeah. So uh, I just wanted to say that regardless of whether, you know, we buy into any conspiracy theory about where the virus came from, I think it is essentially the perfect enemy. Uh, you know, people need an enemy in order to go to authoritarianism, right? And usually it's going to be, you know, the outsiders, uh, you know, the Mexicans, the Chinese, it's going to be some other race, it's going to be somebody that we can identify visually, but the virus is the perfect enemy because we can't, it's everywhere. We can't see it. So we have to be always afraid. Right. And that's the ultimate perfect enemy for an authoritarian state. So regardless whether the virus came from a lab or came from nature, it doesn't really matter. It's here now. And I think if you are a state and you're looking at the situation, uh, even without malicious intent, you yourself are in fear. Even if we assume that everybody's behaving sort of game theoretically, you know, correctly and honestly, uh, then the government is here to protect us and they are enemies all around them as well. And it's completely invisible and scary. So, of course, we're going to see extreme authoritarianism 
come out of that. And I don't, I'm not optimistic um, in terms of people waking up in this environment until we have a vaccine, whatever it is that, that clears this thing away from us. As long as it's around us and we can't see it, we're going to be scared and we're going to do, we're going to do stupid authoritarian things and it's going to suck. So All right. I, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Neil, uh, your, your take, are people waking up or are people uh, shutting off? Uh, so I think, um, so for instance, I've got a couple of um, family members that would normally follow whatever the establishment position was on these kind of things. Um, and they're already starting to voice concerns about the kind of um, the the attitude that's um, kind of permeating through throughout the UK right now, where people are kind of spying on each other. There's kind of like a little bit of pitchfork kind of witch hunt stuff going on um uh there's like police following people around with drones and that's concerning them to the point where they start to voice those concerns and wondering whether people are reacting in the in the right way so i think what it will probably do is it will expand a bunch of people that start questioning the reality that they're living within um however for the rest of the people it will probably entrench their positions further where they kind of call for more and more kind of extreme measures and that that trend will continue so hopefully that, that that group of people that are starting to question things more will um start getting drawn towards bitcoin um especially once there's i mean there's a bunch of measures that we can expect to come in like in the wake of this coronavirus thing and um, stuff like um, ubi and helicopter money we know they've been wanting to do it for years this is their excuse they're already starting to do it cash bans they're going to blame it on the virus um it transmits disease, we've got to get rid of cash. Okay, everybody's going to be using digital currency. They're probably going to get um, helicopter money delivered direct from the bank. You're talking about accounts direct with the Fed. I think that's going to happen. And that's going to shore up control with the central banks away from the commercial banks. Um, also, we're going to see negative interest rate policies. So like they've already dropped, everybody's dropped to zero. Um, they'll go through that as this crisis worsens. Negative interest rate policy will become very normal. They'll talk about how it's actually good for the economy economics textbooks will be rewritten um, and then also in addition to all that with all this crazy inflation going on we can ex price, expect price controls that will start wow. in like rent um people hate landlords right now and that that hatred will just increase with yeah. kind of the economic problems that go on so the first things that will get hit by price controls will be um landlords but then it's going to start expanding to like um various other daily necessities um, we already see the price gouging rules getting implemented, right? So, um, and I think all of these things will encourage people to look at alternatives. Like most people will go along with it for sure, but there's going to be a growing kind of um, momentum. Um, more and more people kind of starting to question things, and they're the they're the kind of our allies and what we kind of our resources to kind of start implementing these these new systems. Really, really great points there, which temporary measures are going to become permanent measures. And I like landlords are about to be scapegoated out of control. Uh, I would a lot of people are like, oh, real estate's so great. I can collect a check every month. Dude, you are in for a whole new world. I mean, I already see it. These rent strikes that are happening. I mean, and you can understand why the people are frustrated. They're not getting paid anymore. So let me I, I want to ask the other two guys, uh, the panel guys. Uh, Gabriel, and I ask Jan this too, what temporary measures do you think are going to become permanent? Wow. Well, the situation now is so fluid. It's it's very difficult to say. Um, here's 
once again coming back to this conflict between the globalists and the uh, and this sort of alliance, ad hoc alliance of of countries that want to maintain their sovereignty. Um, I think that there's going to be these attempts to centralize further attempts to impl implement authoritarian policies and then consistent pushback from various corners, people just not doing it, cops refusing to um, enforce certain regulations. I think there's going to be quite a lot of topsy-turvy situations with this. There's going to be tax revolts, rent revolts, uh, huge influx into Bitcoin over the next three years. You know, and just extreme um, collapsing institutions. And so I think we're going to see at tons of attempts to permanentize these, um, these authoritarian and, and lots and lots of failures. They can't actually do it. And people just, and, and, and the public tide. I think we're going to see some really massive lurches in the Overton window. The Overton window is, you know, basically that which is acceptable to the public at large. I think we're going to see the, the frame of this Overton window push to breaking, nearly breaking point where, where people, people's opinions about what's acceptable for uh, authorities and the public is going to shift so greatly. In addition, I'd like to address Jan's <laughs> fear mongering a little bit. Um, I do see this uh, disease outbreak being uh, totally losing steam this summer and po a possible small like re resurgence next winter. But I don't see this thing as going very long. I think it'll probably end up being a little worse than bird flu from 2009, which is really bad, really terrible. It's horrible that people are suffering and of course dying. That is terrible. But I don't think that it's going to be, uh, you know, a massive pandemic. A lot of the overreaction that we're doing right now absolutely collapses when the weather comes up in the northern hemisphere. So I don't see this. This is a trigger. I don't see it actually continuing to inform policy very much directly. All right. Jan, temporary measures that you think are going to become permanent. UBI, what, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, we've, what's interesting to me is, uh, you know, I've been watching all the seeds of everything that is happening now be planted over, as well, we all have, right? We've seen the MMT meme that came out, you know, probably a few years ago, started becoming more and more prominent. Every week you see more MMT, you mentioned the media, you see more UBI being talked about. All these memes that like started generating, you know, over the last, say, two to four years are now coming to fruition. And, and be, like Gabriel said, this is a perfect, you know, we have the opportunity to implement them now. Um, and so I think those are the things. I mean, I think the financial changes are, are coming. I think helicopter money and digital dollars, like Neil said, are, are absolutely happening. They're, I mean, they're literally happening right now. And uh, all of the, everything's positioned for those to become permanent. So I do think um, we're moving to a digital society. I've been talking about this for a long time. I think money's becoming digital. Regardless, if we ever had this bubble, Corona, without this, we would have been here. So um, I think we got a little bit of acceleration to the schedule for implementation of some of these policies. They would have been here anyway within the next decade. If they're going to happen within the next two years now instead, then that's what's happening. So I think, if anything, we just got a boost in terms of, you know, time timelines. But I think if you were paying attention, all of these things were already uh, falling into place over the last couple of years. And it was just a matter of what spark was going to cause it to happen. Um, I think we could probably all agree that the COVID is not the cause of any of this. It's really just, you know, it could have been anything. It could have been any 
small hiccup in the economic system that triggered this, you know, collapse. And now that we have the collapse, we can come in and sort of implement all these rescue policies. And, you know, uh, things are going to get shaken up. I don't know what what it's going to look like in the future. Uh, I do hope that authoritarianism is temporary. Um, and, you know, I, I wasn't suggesting that the virus is going to be here for a long time. I was suggesting that even if it's here for a short time, it could cause uh, the authoritarian policies, which then become more long term, because once the laws or once they're even customary, like keeping distance from your neighbors is like now it's a social thing or wearing a mask. These things could change our culture without even being laws and they could become permanent just from from the practice you know, of those behaviors. All right. Yeah. And I want to I want to move on to productivity here. People yesterday's show, people were asking me about Swan. They're like, dude, Swan is already in effect. And I remembered, yeah, it's supposed it was supposed to debut in, in late March. So tell us what's going on. Yes, late March is in fact here. Um, and so yeah, on a positive note, we have been hustling. The nice thing about Swan, we're a fully remote company. So we were not impacted by Corona in terms of having to change anything about how we work. We already, you know, uh, video conference and Slack all day. So that was all good. Um, we've been hustling to, to get the product out the door. Um, obviously a lot of us, you know, have kids at home or other distractions. So things have changed, but, um, we are rolling out now. Uh, we're getting people in the door. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Swan is at swanbitcoin.com. And it's just a very simple way to save Bitcoin on a recurring basis. It withdraws from your bank account, uh, drops it into uh, a custodial, obviously it's custodial to purchase. And then eventually you can withdraw it, uh, after it passes all the fraud checks. So you can get into an automated withdrawal. So it goes straight to your Bitcoin wallet. And we're uh, currently rolling people in in cohorts. If you want early access, please DM me on Twitter. It's SKWP, pronounced scoop. Just DM me. I'll give you um, some early access. But really on Monday, we're going to start rolling in more and more people. And, uh, you know, we'll be fully open probably by the end of that week uh, so that just anybody could sign up. Uh, yeah, he is linked to below, of course. And Swan is linked to below. And, yeah, they're... Uh... People say I don't like buying from Coinbase. Well, here you got a you got another option there now. So it's a very good. Yeah, uh, we want to have something that's that's you know better for newbies. If you want to send somebody new to start using Bitcoin, start saving Bitcoin, we don't want them to be hit with like all these altcoins or have to learn about you know you don't want to have to explain to your family why they shouldn't buy Litecoin. This is not a conversation that any Bitcoiner should waste time on. Send them to a Bitcoin only on ramp, um, and and be done with that. All right. <laughs> All right, Neil, what's up? Uh, any Blockstream uh, news and what's going on? Uh, yeah, I mean, like with Blockstream, it's difficult to know where to start. Um, like with Swan, um, we're majority remote. So again, um, things haven't really impacted as much. Actually, there's been increased trading activity as a result of all of the volatility um, going on. So um, uh, business-wise, like that's quite good for us with our um products like um liquid and blockstream green um uh, we just literally while i've been speaking to you went live with a new announcement that we added um, 10 new members to the um, liquid federation and um, some good ones there are um ledger who will be launching some um uh, liquid related applications within their hardware wallets um also wire um who i used to work for and they've um, launched an app um, i think a lot of your listeners are um, based in America. Um, so if they're interested in testing the Liquid Network, getting hold of some Liquid Bitcoin, um, if they go to liquid.net, Wire have a really cool widget that allows people to buy with a debit card or Apple Pay in just a couple of minutes. Um, and then they can try sending around some Liquid Bitcoin um, 
super low fees, transfers really fast. Um, and also you get confidential transactions, which keeps all of your transactions super, super private. Um, and then also we've got HODL. I mean, there's 10 members, but another one of them is um, HODL HODL. So if people are interested in, anybody outside of the US is interested in swapping in and out of Bitcoin and liquid Bitcoin, they can do that through HODL HODL. Um, there's also BISC, which um, was um, set up by Wiz, who's also a new new member on, on the liquid network. Also, um, uh, the liquid network's capacity just um, exceeded the public channel um, capacity on Lightning. So we've got like 952 Bitcoin pegged into the network now. Um, that's to be expected. Like I'm not saying that Liquid is competing with Lightning. They, they both fulfill completely different roles. Lightning's for smaller retail transactions, microtransactions. Um, Liquid is more for traders, um, people that are doing high value, um, slower transactions. So um, that's good to see that developing and, and gaining momentum. Um, also, um, I think with the halvening coming up, um, we're probably going to see a lot more trading activity and people sending to and from exchanges, sending to and from friends, OTC, um, and that's going to start to clog up the network again. Like if we thought 2017 was bad, uh, we've got way more exchanges, way more liquidity sources, and way more people on board this time. So the the the, the next um, rally, which I expect to be very soon, um, could see a lot of people finding it very difficult to make Bitcoin transactions. Um, that's terrible for traders. So um, I'd recommend anybody to any traders out there to check out the Liquid Network and and start testing with it now before before it gets too late. Um, we've also got like in terms of in terms of our other products, there's loads of other stuff. We've got some new updates coming to Blockstream Green. Um, we're going to have um, an update coming to Blockstream Satellite, which will um, expand coverage and do some other very cool things. And um, we've got some Blockstream Satellite kits going to be launched within a, a couple of months, um, and that will allow people to. Um, Buy a kit off the shelf and and um, start using um, set, uh, running a Bitcoin node completely privately without um, without kind of um, alerting anybody in, on the internet that they're running one. Um, uh, yeah, we've got a bunch a bunch more stuff coming down the pipeline. So anybody anybody out there should be following uh, Blockstream on Twitter and see all the cool technology that we're coming up with. Dude. Thank you for that insider information. You're only going to hear it here, people. Pound that like button. Uh, Gabriel, do you have anything uh, you're doing, or do you have any questions for Neil or uh, Jan about what they just said? No, uh, that was really informative. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Uh, awesome. All right. Now, I just want to thank in the chat, somebody just sent me Bitcoin. That was very generous of you, dude. Very, thank you very, very much for supporting uh, the, the show that way. That's awesome. All right. Now we're going to get to conclusionary remarks. We've hit the end of end of the show it's been quite a few wild weeks here uh we'll start with uh jan you, you're you're new to the show what any anything you want to add anything you want to share any uh you want to wrap up anything anything you meant to say that you didn't did, got left out any words of encouragement uh yeah i, I want to apologize for you if, if i was doom and gloom because <laughs> i'm not really i'm a very positive person in general um, I'm just being a little bit realistic about what's uh, around us and how to react to it. And I think it's important we stay sober and, and you know, like rational, right? Uh, and not let the fear get to us. Um, keep working on our projects, make things good that are good for people, um, that are useful for Bitcoin, that make, you know, Bitcoin a healthier ecosystem. I'm, I'm glad to hear uh, the, what Neil's working on. I'm a Blockstream customer myself with a green wallet, awesome wallet. 
um, you know, these these things need to be done, and it's great that we're here and we're working on this stuff, even in the midst of this, you know, world changing crisis. And I think that um, we are somewhat lucky to be here at this time. Um, you know, we we're at, at a moment where we can actually help the world with Bitcoin, um, where perhaps you know a few years ago uh, people didn't really take Bitcoin seriously. I think they're gonna take it a lot more seriously now um, with what's happening, and I think it's very. It's very opportunistic. I mean, again, I don't want to sound like we're taking advantage of people during a time of crisis, but we're not. We're, Bitcoin is not uh, something that is taking advantage of you. Bitcoin is a lifeboat in the middle of uh, you know a world that's collapsing because of a bad uh, structure. It's structured badly. It's systemically poorly built, right? I'm an engineer, and and you know I, I look at the banking system and everything else as an engineer. I am new to economics. I'm new to finance. I understand these things only because I'm in Bitcoin. Um, I've been listening to a lot of macro podcasts since I got into Bitcoin and I've gotten a lot more quote unquote, you know, woke about how the world works because of Bitcoin. And now that I look at it with an engineer's lens, I see that the the, the system is not well built. Uh, Bitcoin is well built and, you know, it's early. It is very early. We have to always keep that in mind how early we are and what we are expecting of people, you know, around us in terms of when we're pitching Bitcoin. They're not all going to jump on board tomorrow. That's definitely not going to happen. We have to be realistic with our timelines um, but at the same time, we have to take advantage and, and teach people during this crisis why this crisis is happening, what's going to kind of happen next potentially, and how Bitcoin fixes this. Very, very solid there. Pound that like button, Neil. Your uh, your thoughts? That you, anything you want to share? Conclusionary remarks. Um, I'm all good. Uh, thanks a lot for having me on the show. Um, it's been good. Awesome. Okay, so that the, the, those that's that's those are tight remarks. There, nothing else to add. Nothing. Uh, nothing. How's how's Thailand? I mean, how how's it out there? It's it's nice. Uh, we're starting to have a little bit of a lockdown here. Um, they're they're closing most of the establishments at six p.m. and uh, all of the restaurants are only doing takeaway, uh, but people can still step out of the house um, as long as they're not below five or over seventy. Um, so uh, it's not too bad. It's all right. All right. All right. Cool. Good. Good update. All right, Gabriel. We're leaving. You, you're going to sum it all up. What was left out? You can bring up anything. Tell us what you're doing. Take yeah. it away, baby. Yeah. Um, so it's where I am is kind of similar to to Neil's situation. It's it's like semi shutting down and kind of warnings, but not totally done. And that's like, man, that is such a good balance. I feel. I was talking to uh, my father in the Los Angeles area and he's having trouble getting, getting deliveries and things like that. And that's really tough. Um, I hope that the supply chains can uh, withstand this situation. I think that it'll be just fine because it's freaking people saying not to go out. It's not people dropping like flies, 1919 Spanish flu. It's just people's opinions and things that they're saying. So any Supply chain stuff, I think we can very easily fix should they begin to crumble a bit in this situation just by loosening standards and saying, okay, listen, you guys can make food now, you know. Uh, so, but where I am, that's not the case. We've got power, uh, we've got internet, hugely different situation than Spanish flu. I mean, we're, if, if you're quarantined, 
you can still communicate. You can still you can still really be in touch with the world like you couldn't before. You you weren't you, you were really isolated in a quarantine before. Whereas now with the internet, boy, it's a really different situation. And as a homebody myself, having an extra excuse not to go out, I'm kind of living the dream right now, to be honest. Um, so enjoy this time for what it is. It's a time to get in touch with yourself as well. Get back in touch with your creative projects. That's what I'm doing. Um, I have an online business. And, um, of course, we focus a lot on digital and Internet. So while things did kind of experience a bit of a hiccup as the panic really uh, reached its fever pitch, things are loosening up again now. And um, we're seeing really big traffic Um so that is uh, sort of a silver lining for people running digital businesses who planned ahead for this type of situation. One of the big reasons why I focused my business activity in that direction. So, uh, you know, in summation, use this time to, to, to be with your family, the people whom, with whom you don't need to keep a six foot distance from. You know, use the time to cuddle with your pets and reconnect with your kids that can't go to school. Um, you know, take charge of, of your family's of your family's happiness and and uh, spend time together and, and really get back in touch with yourself because the time to come will be unlike the last decade. It's going to be a totally new situation. And it's not because of this virus. It's because everyone has had a time to reset and uh, we're going to have a massive amount of various resets in the world. So the time now is to set your order, set your life uh, in order and this is a great time to get into Bitcoin. People are going to accumulate familial dynasties during this quarter. <laughs> Dude, that is a great way to wow. end the show, man. That is positive. In motion, we're entering a golden age. Start your family dynasty now. Don't look back in uh, 10 years and say, oh, my God. That guy started a family dynasty. I, I could have done the same thing. Don't be a regret. No regrets, dudes. So live it up. All right, dudes. Thank you, panel. You were awesome. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember to subscribe to this channel, like this video, share this video. Pound that like button. Bang that bell button. You get a new show here every day. Friday is this week in Bitcoin. I'll be back tomorrow night for the Beyond Bitcoin show. Shabbat shalom. Everybody stay cool out there. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. One Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin strong hand. See you guys tomorrow. Bye-bye.